Hello and welcome to Monocle on Culture with me, Robert Bound. On today's programme, we're talking to the wonderful Penny Martin, editor of a new book from the Gentlewoman magazine, of which she's editor-in-chief, titled Modern Manners, and it's about just that. The book is a primer for contemporary life from the elegant and amused female perspective to which readers of that magazine will already be happily attuned. It tackles modern conundrums such as re-gifting and what to write on your out-of-office email or to reply to age-old ones such as how to say sorry, how to be excessive with style, via excellent treaties on the perfect utility of the black napkin, how to arrive solo at a party and how to drink alone classily. While it's very funny, it's also very useful and sets an agenda for contemporary living that's a lot more Dorothy Parker than it is Emily Post. It's post-post. It's the ingenious gentlewoman after all. Here is Penny Martin. Feels like your book, The Gentlewoman's Book, Modern Manners, has come at a time when a lot of us have made a reassessment. And the spirit of that book, am I right, is really about reassessment. It's about noting the things that you appreciate, noting the things that you don't, and, and, and kind of, I suppose arraying strength around you somehow. Well, that's well put, yes. It was really an editorial format that grew into a kind of state of mind, I guess. I mean, we've been publishing pieces that we call Modern Details and Modern Manners for a long time, and really what they were were the kind of pieces of editorial in the Gentlewoman magazine that sat between quite a binary offering, really, of kind of Q&A interviews and long-form interviews. And quite early on, we realised that there wasn't <laughs> much else to read in the magazine. So we started to sort of realise, what, 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 what would people want to read if they were just dropping in for a shorter piece? And, you know, we started to make something of the kinds of conversations you'd have at dinner about, you know, the way you live your life and just the kind of advice and tips that are the currency of female conversation and, and sort of an entree into friendship people you know women will notice something about each other and they'll make something like oh you know you believe in you, we, we, we might well write a, a piece about this the middle parting or getting a haircut those kinds of things and kind of evolve them into something more but when we were asked if we wanted to do a book of course we could well have done a book of interviews and I think that's what people would have expected of us but as you say we were aware that the kinds of conversations that we were having kind of at the start and the end of Zoom meetings, that way of kind of checking in with people and finding out that they were all right, you know, that were the sort of bookmark at the end of conversations with colleagues, et cetera, tended to be about little things that you changed your mind about. And that chimed with really the way that we approach these subjects in the magazine, which tends to be about a kind of sociological problem or like a social problem like how do you arrive alone at a party or what would make you a better guest or what's really expected of you when you become a godparent and did you realize it sometimes involves money and just the kind of conversational escalation of a small idea like that and trying to get tips out of kind of sophisticated people so that's really what the book consists of it's an anthology of what was in the magazine but when you read these pieces together, it starts to become a kind of chorus of advice that indicates a certain take on modern life. 
it's a real beguiling list of, of I guess, columns and no, the noticings of things. It's interesting talking about this in the context of you having saying that you, move, you you were able to move to Scotland or back to Scotland, and the digital world had sort of enabled that. But quite a lot of the preoccupations, maybe a quarter of them in, in a certain way, or, or, or allied to that, are allied to the digital world, Penny. And they're kind of about people's, I mean, Caroline Rue, <laughs> who I know a bit and know exactly. <laughs> I'm not great with my, digi- my diary on my mobile phone either. <laughs> and I know Caroline probably wouldn't be. So that's one of the things. And she obviously, as, as you've alluded to, writes brilliantly about how to arrive alone at a party and things like that. But there is a little bit of um, sort of, while, while the, it's embracing the fact that the, the digital world has changed certain aspects of things for the better, but how to write an auto-apply and how to put a diary on your mobile phone haven't. So there's a little bit of scepticism or quite a lot of scepticism about our digital habits, right, in the book. That's absolutely right. I mean, it's perhaps not surprising given that the editor of the magazine in this book um, uh, used to run a website. So that idea about questioning where the digital world was leading perhaps is in the background. And I think that it's, you know, rather than an etiquette manual that would give rules about certain things, it's more questioning some behaviour that has come to seem normal, I think. So, yeah, for sure, there are things like how to regain one's anonymity? How would you reimpose privacy when we gave so much away? Those are um, uh, topics for some of the pieces. And, you know, as you say with Caroline, it's more about the merits of a real diary versus a digital one. And that, of course, chimes again with the kind of haptic quality of our magazine. Sure, the gentlewoman could be a digital phenomenon. And we have a really successful international women's society called the Gentlewoman Club that exists virtually across the world and we do real world events. But I think there's pretty much nothing that we do as a company that doesn't have a real world execution. And I think that, you know, saying, you know, there's some merits from having an actual physical record of one's activities and all the other things that happen when you whip out a really beautiful diary in a meeting versus tapping away on your phone as if you're checking your text because you're bored. Yes, it's Um, difficult to to make it look like you're not just looking at your WhatsApp, isn't it? Exactly. And that might well be a topic for a modern manners. We might say, how do you check your email or indeed should one? I think, in fact, that's perhaps mentioned in one of the very first interviews in the first issue with Alice Rawsthorn, where she did a piece on communications. And she said, you know, you absolutely shouldn't. But, you know, 10 years on, is that even possible? Maybe if we, we would do a piece about having an agreement with one's friends that, you know, midway through your evening together, you have a break for, for email, you know, or should you? But those are the sort of topics. And that would come out of a conversation. And of course, do people do that? I'm sure some do, but there's a degree of invention in the topics of these pieces, a little bit like sort of Evelyn was green bowler hat. Nobody was wearing a green bowler hat, but you <laughs> kind of got the, the gist of what they were saying about the way that those people lived their lives in the kind of roaring 20s. And in a way, you know, we slightly escalate these points to the point of being rather uh, fastidious or ridiculous. You know, I, I think the only piece I wrote personally, and, and it was about a folding coat hanger. Now, <laughs> do I really travel around with a folding coat hanger in my bag? 
sometimes is the answer. Um, you know, and of course, the idea of kind of introducing one before the coat check hangs one's lovely coat on a peg is yeah. a sort of rather ridiculous <laughs> idea. But it's just those little social flourishes that you might hear about at the dinner table. You think, ah, oh, right, you know, oh, you you only wear bracelet length sleeves. Now it's a slightly ridiculous idea, but I can well imagine if that were a, a trend, so-called trend in, in fashion that we might make something of it and turn it into something that's kind of habitual and social. Yeah, I can hear the sound of a million cuffs being being ripped off sh- of blouses and shirts here. <laughs> this is this, you're yeah. starting a movement, Penny. Is you on it? <laughs> and in what area? I mean, you mentioned that that, that excellent Alice Rolston piece right at the beginning of the gentlewoman journey. I suppose what what has changed the most in the decade or so since then that that you kind of wanted to address as the editor of the magazine and of and of modern manners. I mean, mentioned kind of our relationship with the digital world and the virtual world and how we must or how it would be wise to try to police that. But from a female perspective, especially, what, what's changed the most? Because there's quite a lot of subtle empowerment and, as I said, an arraying of strength that comes through like a very strong backbone in, in the book and, of course, comes from the DNA of the magazine. Yeah, very few of them were commissioned as a sort of women and type structure. Quite often, there were things that might apply to both sexes, like, you know, tipping or drinking alone at the bar. But once in a woman's magazine and um, uh, written perhaps by a pretty feminist writer like Anne Friedman, who did the one about the solitary drink, it became something that was about the politics and the the, the know-how to be able to travel alone, you know, of course, quite often a kind of executive in a different city doesn't want to stay captive in their hotel room. But, you know, you also know you might attract unwanted attention and what are the kind of rules and how do you deflect that or or avoid the worst of those kind of situations. And quite often they have a little bit of kind of historical background about, I mean, for myself, I used to be a, a curator in the Women's Library, which was then called the Fawcett Library. And we had an archive devoted to a political case against um, Wimpy, <laughs> Wimpy um, hamburger bar. Um, and I, I seem to remember, and perhaps, again, fa- being slightly fanciful, but I seem to remember that a woman entering a Wimpy hamburger bar until the late 1970s alone would be assumed to be a prostitute and wouldn't be permitted entry. And that was a kind of legal action in a transition. But, you know, that idea about places where you, for women still it's difficult to style it out alone, you know. So, again, coming back to that arriving alone at a party, you know, that can still be a bit of intimidating, especially in our industry where, you know, the glass of wine in a shop is still kind of necessary part of of fashion but you know sometimes it can be a bit bothersome to do it on your own so it's nice to have a few rules instilled as ridiculous as that sounds um so that you don't feel vulnerable etc you know there's actually a piece about being fearless in the book by uh, Susan Irvin, where I, I just, you know, that came out of a conversation where she told me that she liked to go out night walking on her own. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, immediately you think, well, how do you do that? And she's like, well, I think it's really necessary that you feel that you can and here's how kind of thing. Yeah. And of course, there are much more explicit subjects like the politics of a menstrual cup and how on earth you deal with that in public bathrooms, etc. But, you know, those kind of um, subjects are are ones that have cropped up. So in terms of things changing, I think probably you're right that we feel at liberty to be a bit more explicit with those very women-centred subjects. But I do remember when we first uh, published The Gentlewoman, I think the second issue, a very famous art director said to me, oh, you know, 
in your magazine, you should publish essays like Simone de Beauvoir did about how to be a woman. And I came back to speak to my colleagues about that, Gert Jonkers and Jot um, um, van Bennekom, who were the editors of Fantastic Man. And they said, well, your whole magazine is that penny. You can't just isolate pieces as if, you know, fashion and all the other parts of your editorial uh, mix aren't politicized. It's just how you do it. So I think these pieces are kind of rather hopefully entertaining. I'm sure some are better than others. Um, Trojan horses for, yeah, a kind of general idea about the kind of tips that you would give to other women. Yeah. And I think I, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think the, the writing, the commissioning of this thing, every single essay sings is so wonderful. Thank you. And I, I, I love that the subtle politics of essays like Inside Pocket. Ah, Susan Irvin. Well, I'll tell you how that one came. We were at lunch and she was wearing a helmet lined jacket and she reached into inside her jacket and I was like, you've got an inside pocket. And she said, I'll tell you what, Helmut Lang used to, to create two inside pockets. And we were like, why on earth do women not ha have inside pockets? And she said, well, you know, we're always told that it spo spoils the line where the breasts should be, I guess. But she said, but I don't see why that's confined to a jacket because, you know, in their own way, Trou men's trousers have to accommodate plenty and uh, well hopefully and um <laughs> you know and they're designed to accommodate that and we thought well that's quite an interesting idea and you know that had took on a life of its own um because when we were invited by Tecla to do a product collaboration with them the nightwear and um textiles company they're uh, Danish I thought right well why don't we put one on the inside of a pair of pajamas because you know quite often you're on a flight and you need to take a few sort of necessaries to the bathroom, but you don't want to lug a giant big uh, bag with you, or you could put your sleeping pill in there or your, you know, so there was this kind of idea about this sort of slightly superfluous addition of an inside pocket on pajamas. So it, it had a, a sort of third life, if you like, but um, yeah, in a way that's a kind of campaigning moment, but executed in a kind of charming way. And she's such a great writer. I mean, that's the thing about these smaller pieces. An independent publication like us, I mean, let's be honest, the style press, there's not a huge amount of expectation about the standard of writing in uh, independent public fashion publications. So for one thing, I'm incredibly proud that we could <laughs> publish something that's a standalone uh, publication devoted to our writing and you know a lot of that's to do with the fact that you know what resources our company has um, can be poured into shorter pieces where we can attract a really high standard of writer that perhaps might not be able to contribute a 3,000 word interview for us but they might do a, a, a smart 300 word piece um, and be pleased to be in the context so you know that's a real delight for the team and for me. Yeah, I mean, it it feels. I think a lot of joy resonates off the pages, actually, and I, you can definitely feel the sort of editorial hand on the tiller of it. And I think it's 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 a it's a great advantage being in the that independent publishing world, where you can make the magazine that you do and make and, and publish this publish this book or edit this book, and you don't have to touch on every political point that seems to be hot button or that is fashionable in these six months and all the rest of it. Your magazine, you can pick up a copy of The Gentlewoman, the first issue, and read it now afresh. You know, it's not like it... it, 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 it it's historically interesting, but... 
it's got a timelessness and a purpose to it, which is sort of outside of time somehow. I mean, that's something. I mean, independent publishing can be tough, tough stuff, as we know from kind of both sides on both sides of this microphone as well. But but it gives you so much more independence, literally, doesn't it? Well, keep talking. I mean, of course, I couldn't put it any better. Thanks for saying so. Um, yeah, we get to indulge uh, our fancies, and you know, this contents list pretty much reads like the kind of questions <laughs> I would ask a kind of smart girl friend you know is is there any point in feeling shame how should we spend our money how should you celebrate your birthday you know if you have a month off how do you enjoy being idle those kinds of questions would be the sorts of things that I would hope our conversations would extend to but as you say they're a sort of second base editorialising on the part of the team. We get the chance to think about a topic that's perhaps timely. I don't know, like um, maybe there's a, a new wine out and we're approached by a wine company and they they you know they say, would you do something on our um, product? And of course, in a biannual magazine, there's not really any place for something like that. However, suddenly we'll like, ah, they do a magnum, do they? And that's the sort of thing that would then spur a sort of second base idea that, okay, we're not going to promote your product per se, but there's something peculiar about it that feels habitual and, and smart that might be kind of a way to be generous is to um, <laughs> turn up at a party with a, you know, a double-sized bottle. <laughs> I'll or, see you there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, but those things are often linked to, yeah, generosity or largesse or advice, just that sort of reassurance that you want to give your girlfriends um, that come out of a kind of upbeat chat. Yeah, that there is such a nice mixture of, as you said, that there's an essay on excess, and that's excellent, um, <laughs> and it's a wonderful piece. And also, you know, the idea of the small poor and having one drink at the bar, I think that's Anne Friedman's piece as well. Yeah, the small poor was something I noticed at Noble Rock, where they, they serve a half glass of wine, so you could just about sneak something in at lunchtime. Um, and, I, <laughs> and then I just asked uh, Marina who, uh, O'Glocklin, who's, of course, connected with that restaurant, just to write a little bit about the sort of pleasures of a much smaller uh, intake, uh, which is just a kind of nice, fun piece. And then, you know, of course, that extends to, we've included some of the lists that we sometimes publish in uh, The Gentle Woman, which give us an opportunity to reach out to a much bigger range of women than we would ever be able to include in the magazine. We only do sort of eight or 10 interviews per issue, and we only come out twice a year. So of course, that's quite limited and uh, it gives us a chance to be very sort of deep with those people. However, if you balanced with something that Fantastic Man do really well, you know, you might ask one question, but put it to 30 different people and then print a digest of 30 different answers to that. So there's things like, you know, what do you give as a gift? Or I love that. I loved how many, I was surprised how many people give jewellery as a gift, but then maybe I just yeah. don't mix in the right circle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm not hanging my... out with Claudia Schiffer enough. <laughs> yeah, you should, because it puts my um, vest to shame. <laughs> 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 it did slightly, Penny. I didn't want to yeah. say anything. But, you know. Yeah, I've out my game since those days. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, obviously that extends to, you know, what was your first job? And those aren't specifically about etiquette, of course, but what they do is they provide a kind of range of tips from women, from Hilary Mantel to uh, Kylie to Otega Wagba, you know, a whole different bunch of people. And that's just to give a sense of the kind of range of the women that we like and we we uh, solicit advice from and, and therefore what you end up 
also with the magazine is a kind of constellation of all the women that we think are interesting and valid over the last 10 years. And that creates a bit of a kind of society of smart women um, by default. So I'm pleased that that's another upshot where you kind of get this sense of a community. And, you know, of course, style magazines are always supposedly about community. They're often about a kind of rather exclusive community of people that are fashionable and they're all sort of photographed around this kind of figurative swimming pool as if they all hang out together that's hopefully not the impression we try to give by asking very prosaic things of them like you know what were you doing 10 years ago this great stuff is you get so it's so wonderful it's it's always heartening and surprising in equal measure and i think inspiring as well for people that aren't there yet or whatever and it's just nice and diverting for people that you know are somewhere i think it's you know it's a bit of nosy parkering as well isn't it we love to know about that stuff that's the second time a journalist has called me nosy i think that is absolutely right that that's the way that um uh the gentlewoman gets commissioned (laughs) (laughs) nosy parkering though with a sense surely a small sense of irony i like the curiosity of the born editor penny that's that's purely it well i am (laughs) curious and i think you know in my teens i can remember my friends used to always say to me that you know my most favorite words were could i would i should i where i'm always asking advice myself so in a way you know one of the pleasures of being an editor of a magazine like this is i get to answer my own questions so if i need to know how to throw a party you know or you know is it actually acceptable to regift a lovely present you know i get the smartest women that i know to answer it for me lucky me <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's good, right? You get to you get to work it out, and there's a nice mixture in the book between essays on excess and essays on control, actually, without it ever being sort of parsimonious. There's a kind of there's a and as I, I notice a very kind of firm editorial hand on the tiller, although you've got wonderful contributors, obviously, and writers to this. Were there? Did you have to kind of leaven the selection, kind of thing? I mean, in in terms of making sure you've got enough of this and that, or do you just I mean, you know, you, you've obviously been at the helm of that publication for for a long time. So you, I guess, I guess the DNA serves you well in in the in in, in the gentlewoman, right? To to always know that you're getting the balance right, as it were, without having to look at the look at the optics, as it were. Yeah, there were many, many ones that didn't make it in. Mainly the ones I wrote, I should say. But it, it's true that we wanted a sort of mix of ones that gave uh, solutions to traditional etiquette issues. Um, you know, such as the party or, you know, the gift, etc. And then the more modern ones. So I think that was the kind of big consideration. And then the, it wasn't really that we were laying down the rules. I mean, we're not positioning ourselves as sort of arbiters or some kind of patrician class that tells everybody else how to behave. In fact, it's more about how, you know, us asking a question about how we should behave and having a bit of a discussion about it. So I think things like, how should one say sorry? Does it need to be on paper like condolences used to be? Or can that be sent by text? Or, you know, that's an, uh, Seb Emina uh, wrote that piece. And I think it's really interesting because he, you know, says, you know, it really depends on the degree of the, the gaff. You know, some things really still require a face-to-face, as mortifying as that may be. And other things really don't even require a written uh, sorry. But the conversation of what constitutes a transgression now is also interesting. And he, he, you know, obviously wanted to talk a little bit about the kind of digital shaming. So those are sort of timely things that have crept in. Yeah, you're right. That's a bit of a Trojan horse, as you mentioned it, um, at the beginning of something with a, a, a seriousness of purpose wrapped up in somewhere between a 
you've Dorothy Parkerized some serious things, right? <laughs> That's a compliment. Yeah, it's a lovely be... thing. Well, you know, it's, it's it does. It's it's it is that. It's like the Trojan horse somehow, isn't it? It's making... Yeah, it, it's got to be um, entertaining. But I think what uh, often this gives us an opportunity to do is um, meditate on something objectival and less conversational. In a way, quite often there'll be. A sort of object at the center of it like you know we published a piece during the lockdown about bringing your own cutlery and glasses to um social events etc you know that gives you a chance to think a little bit about the specificity of what that might be or you know i'm um, i think in god parenting there's probably the idea of what should be a a, a gift so that you know the, the, there is a connection with uh consumer journalism but in the most as you uh, more politely put it abstruse way I mean, we, we yes, we have the um, luxury of going into the weeds. And I think that's necessary in a biannual publication, especially one where we know from our readers that people tend to read the magazine a few times. It can't really be a piece that's timely and, and not particularly worked, which I think would be absolutely appropriate in a newspaper that was likely to go back to the subject a few times over a period. Whereas, you know, we only come out once every six months and these pieces you know had to you know would be argued over for a long time in the <laughs> editorial process till we decided what should be said about bar soap and how egregious liquid soap is <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's fighting for the woolly mammoth it seems in, in today's <laughs> day and age I don't know but I did enjoy the essay um, at the end of the book you you ask an excellent in the unmentionables section you simply ask and this is one of these these things that kind of comes from the gentleman magazine that uh, you ask lots of different people the same question what drugs can you not live without that must have been the inbox that you were furious just to get into every morning to see what people's responses <laughs> and what it, yeah. if you had to i mean you're in here obviously uh you know but of the other ones which 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 are the other drugs could you not live without as as i mean i like bricks um smith starts kind of specificity for her party ammo um, I agree. That, yeah, the specificity of that. I'm like, that's what I. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that she, Good. She can go on troughing lots of red wine and cheese. She takes some special, I think it's called deosin, or are they to combat her allergies? So that's kind of party survival of a different kind. Yeah. yeah I know she, and of course, you know, it, it's great when people understand the brief, which is to kind of express themselves in the most quintessential ways. You know, um, Princess Julia shocked everybody by saying she didn't take recreational drugs anymore, uh, only the occasional hang hangover, considering yeah. she's a woman that's been out for in excess of four decades every night, I think, yeah. um, and prides herself on it. But um, yeah, some of them were very interesting and kind of useful takeaways, like um, I think Kim Sion mentioned uh, cinnamon as a appetite suppressant when you're craving sugar in the afternoons and I'll admit to having tried that one out myself um yeah so people were pretty forthcoming and it's nice they got a chance to sort of be stylish and kind of witty it feels like a dinner party that you wish you had an invite to or that maybe you are invited <laughs> the price of admission is is the price is the cover price right well what? for me too I mean yeah. don't think yeah. that I'm you know yeah sure in the industry there's all these lovely uh, industry dinners etc but you know again you know it's the sort of dream party for me that's that's the pleasure of being an editor isn't it yeah absolutely and this this is a publication that requires a party. I know you, do, you have the Gentlewoman Club, which has its physical events, which are which are super fun. But this this definitely feels like it needs a um a symposium or a big, uh, maybe excessive 
if not controlled, lash up <laughs> with more than one drink and more than half a glass of it. Um, it f- this feels like it's dying out for a real world interpretation, doesn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. and that deserves a, a, an entry of its own about how one actually does that at the moment. Does one want to be the super spreader first event? Of course, we will um, be on the road with readings and, and events, but it will be about being timely and making sure we do that at the right time. So, yeah, I would love it that, uh, that on the day that we launch, um, uh, there was a, a, a signing and all the other attendant events. But I think they will have to come in the fullness of time, but they definitely will. Yeah, well, there'll be a p- prescription for that somewhere in the Gentlewoman universe, <laughs> of course. Penny Martin, thank you so much for your time on the programme today. Modern Manners, Instructions for Living Fabulously is out now, published by Fiden. My thanks to Penny Martin, of course, for chatting with me today. Monocle on Culture is produced by Holly Fisher and we'll be back at the same time next week. But until then, from me, Robert Bound, thanks for tuning in. <laughs> <laughs>